we haven't had opportunity to meet, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And only, how many more sleeps? Seven more sleeps until Christmas. So I don't know about you, but in our house, we can hardly wait for Christmas. And sometimes when you have kids in particular, or if you are a kid at heart, it feels like Christmas takes a long time to come, doesn't it? Um, And I can remember one Christmas, our family uh, spent it together with our extended family in the Rocky Mountains, and we were at this big lodge uh, by Kananaskis. And we, all my younger brothers and sisters and I, uh, were sleeping in this area, in this loft above where my parents were staying down below. And on Christmas Eve, I have a distinct recollection that every hour, almost on the hour, I would get up, I would go down from the loft, I would wake my dad up and I would say, is it time that is it Christmas, can I open our presents out? And he would say, no, it's not time, I climb back up the ladder, go back, try to go back to sleep, couldn't go back to sleep climb down the ladder again, wake, try my mom this time because dad was kind of grouchy. So, mom, is it time to open up the presents yet? No, it's like 12 o'clock, go back to bed. There'll be a long time before you can open your presents. Go back up the ladder, back down. But it, that, that night felt like the longest night of my life. It felt like it took forever for Christmas to come. And finally, my parents said, okay, after that, that uh, Christmas Eve, they instituted a rule, and the rule was, we will put your stockings out when we go to bed, but you cannot open them until 5 a.m. At 5 a.m., do whatever you want. Now, uh, being a parent, I get to make the rules in our house. We have moved 5 o'clock to the much more palatable hour of 7 a.m. when Christmas can begin at our house. But still, so much of Christmas feels like it's about waiting, doesn't it? Waiting for it to come. And waiting is really, really hard work. And quite frankly, I'm not very good at waiting. And as a culture, we're really not very good at waiting, are we? We're, we're into all kinds of buy now, pay later schemes. They're called credit cards. We can't even wait anymore uh, till 7 p.m. on the night that a movie releases. We want to line up the night before and stay up till all ends of the night and watch a midnight showing of that same either CD release or that movie release. Uh, We don't want to deny ourselves any good food at the holidays. We don't want to wait. So we say we'll diet and we'll exercise in the new year, but then we totally forget uh, that we were going to wait on that. But no matter how you slice it, we end up spending a good portion of our lives waiting for things to happen. We we wait to grow up. We want to get our driver's license as a big thing when you're growing up. You wait for that prospective employer to give you a call back or wait for that client to call you back or respond to your sales call. You wait for that acceptance letter from college or you wait for that check to come in the mail or you wait for answers to our prayers. And when you get into talking about waiting spiritually, that almost becomes one of the more difficult types of waiting in some ways because if we're waiting for God to show up and what he wants us to do in a given situation, it's a bit harder than regular waiting can't it? Waiting on God, because sometimes God lets you in on a little part of something that he has for you, and then you have to wait for the rest of it to come to full fruition. Think about how many people in the Bible had to wait for what God had promised them. Why don't you shout out some examples for me? People in the Bible that had to wait 
God gave them a little bit of a promise and then they had a period of time. Hannah? Yeah, what was she waiting for? Yeah, she's waiting for a son. She'd wait for a long time. Yeah, what else? The Israelites, they had to wait for a long time. They, they got, said, you're going to go into the promised land, but you've got to wait 40 years for it because you disobeyed. What else? Noah. He had to wait a long time for a bunch of stuff. Jared and I were reading our son, our eight-year-old, about Noah's story in the Old Testament. And one of the things that struck me this week is God closed the door and Noah had to wait a full week after the door was closed before anything at all happened. If I was him, I'd start to go a little stir-crazy with all the animals in there after a week and nothing. Who else? David. What did he have to wait Promises of kingdom. The existing king changed him all over the country. He had to live in caves. He had to live in foreign nations. And God had promised him, you're going to be the king. But he had to wait for a long time for that to happen. Yeah, who else? Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had to wait for decades and decades for God to give them the promised son. God said to him, you're going to be a great nation. So well, I don't have any kids. How are you going to make me a great nation without any offspring? Time after time after time, in the scriptures we read, when God promised thing, they had to wait for it. And it creates this kind of anticipation. And as we get towards the end of the Old Testament, and we come to the story of Jesus being born, we think about all the words of the Old Testament prophets, whom God peeled back the fabric of time so they could see into the future and what he was going to do, sometimes 600 years in advance of the birth of Jesus promising a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Deliverer who would come to set them free. And for 600 years, if you look at Israel's history, things got worse and worse and worse. Politically, spiritually, economically, in every single way, as they waited, things got worse. And they waited for 200 years, 400 years, 600 years, still no Messiah. And I don't know about you, but in Circumstances like that, you have to wait for a long period of time. It's very easy for me to get discouraged and for me to give up hope and to begin to forget about the promises that God made to me and the plans that God has for my life. And many of you have been there. Maybe you're there in that place today. I can remember a time uh, in our life, uh, Meg and I, a relationship where we couldn't have kids, and at the same time, we were moving into a new house, and it wasn't ready for us at that time. And we had been so focused on these two objectives, get a kid, get a house, 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 that everything else had become lost and obscured in that time period. And yet, in that moment, I can remember feeling like both of those things were slipping through our fingers, and that neither one of them was ever going to happen in our lives. And then one day we were reading in Psalm 113 in the Bible. And we were both reading it that morning. And we read in verse 9. And a verse 9 jumped off of the page to us. And verse 9 reads, He settles the childless woman in her home as the happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. And we both in that time sense that that was God's promise to us. And so we shared that with each other and we're like, hey, did you read that this morning? I really felt like God was saying something to me about that. And she said, yeah, I felt the same way. And we said, okay, well, what does that mean? And at that moment, we didn't know what it meant. Nothing had physically changed. We weren't in our house. There were no kids. 
All we had was a promise from God that we felt like God had given to us, that we were clinging on to that experience. And God was faithful. Several months later, we were settled into our townhouse, and then several months after that, we were blessed by God with our firstborn son. When God promises you something, though, he doesn't always give it to you right away. You still have to wait for us. And yeah, it can be faith building and all of those things, but it can be really, really hard to wait. Because waiting for anything that's worthwhile is difficult. Our Advent series here at Jericho is called The Miracle of Christmas. And this morning we're going to look at a character in the Christmas story who had to wait for a long period of time. He was well accustomed to waiting. In fact, God had revealed something very unique and very specific to him. But yet it was opaque at the same time. His name is Simeon, and we find his story in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35, just shortly after the narrative of Jesus' birth. And so let's pray together as we look into God's word this morning and study the life of Simeon. God, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful to your promises. They don't always come true right away. And so we pray that in this moment, in this day, you would teach us, you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear as we look into your word. Your word is truth. It reveals your heart to us. It reveals your purposes and plans for us. And so we want to be obedient to the things that you place in our hearts today by your spirit, through your revealed word, and through your truth. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you today, then uh, before you leave, make sure you stop in and visit with Michelle at the Welcome Center, and we've got a Bible for you and a really easy-to-read translation. We'd love for you to take that home with you uh, today. And some of the verses are going to come up on the screen. If you're reading in Luke chapter 2 at verse 20 is where the very familiar part, uh, the traditional Christmas narrative stops, and then we continue moving. You see that Mary and Joseph, being devout religious Jews, for their day, they followed the required protocol, and after traipsing down from their hometown of Nazareth to Bethlehem, and Mary's given birth, now they are going up to Jerusalem and the temple in order to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. And it's here that we meet Simeon. So follow along with me as I read in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we'll start reading in verse 25. So Luke 2.25 says, At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named and he was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So that day... The Spirit led him into the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. For I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light Reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. The 17th century Dutch master, Rembrandt, 
was fascinated as a painter and as an artist with this particular section of Scripture. It's one of the sections of Scripture that he made the most numerous sketches and paintings about. Some of his earliest works and some of his latest works as a commissioned artist were of this scene in the temple. And this particular painting is entitled Simeon's Song of Praise. And the thing that captures me about it is both what we can see and what we can't see about Simeon's history and his life. Because we don't know a lot of details about Simeon aside what the text tells us. And so Rembrandt's got to fill in some of the blanks. We learn that the defining feature of Simeon's life was that God had promised him that he would not die until he saw Messiah, the Savior. And we learn that he's been waiting for years for this. And he's getting old. And so Rembrandt, you can see, has painted him as such in the picture. And when the Bible says you're old, I mean you're really, really old, right? So if I'm Simeon, and God has given me a promise and said, you're not going to die until you see Messiah. Every day that I get older, every day I see Messiah, I'm getting a little more concerned. And as I get really old, I'm getting concerned that maybe God's not going to keep His promise in some way. I'm getting concerned that, that maybe my health is going to give out before I see the promised Messiah. I'm getting concerned that I'm starting to develop cataracts in my eyes and spiritual calluses on my heart that might prevent me from seeing what God has promised me that I'm going to see. I'm beginning to ask questions like, how will I know Messiah when I see Him? In my darker days, I'm asking, what if I missed Him already? And I just don't know it. But the text tells me that far from being discouraged by the passing of time, Simeon, in his old age, is eagerly waiting for Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Despite the delay in the promise, Simeon is still confident that God is going to come through. Our title this morning comes from Simeon's mouth in Luke chapter 2, verse 30. My eyes have seen. And so we want to ask ourselves today, what can we learn by seeing the world through Simeon's eyes. And I think the first thing we learn from this text by seeing the world through Simeon's eyes is that Simeon is to listen to God. He hears God speak to him. Not only that initial promise, but heard on that God speak to him and say, go to the temple. Because Simeon sees the world fundamentally through eyes of faith and confidence in God. Simeon sees the world through the lens of what God has revealed to him, not what God has hidden from him. You see, it's like this. I don't know where you hide Christmas presents in your house that you have purchased, but not yet given to someone. In our house, our kids are not here, so I can tell you this, we hide them in our closet. And sometimes, though, uh, we're not that, uh, we, 
I'm not that good at hiding them. So I forget that they're sticking out a little bit out of the suitcase, or I haven't quite sweater over top of them. And we have some very keen eyes and observers in our house. And so sometimes they'll actually see the little part of the present that's sticking out. And if you're really good and you're really curious, your mind begins to go to work and think, what kind of shape was that? Did that look like a Lego box? I wonder if that, what, what colors were on that box? Was that, do I recognize that box from the store anywhere? That might be, no. Could that, and you kind of begin to go all of these different places in your mind and try and figure it out. And, and some of you, no names mentioned because you know who you are. You have a hard time waiting for things, especially if you have seen just a little bit of something. You need to see the full meal deal in order to kind of have confidence enough that you know that what's been promised is coming. But you see, Simeon has a different perspective. Simeon is content to see in part and to know in part. Simeon, God has only revealed very, very, very little information to him. The only thing that he knows is he's going to see Messiah before he dies. That's it. There's no other details. There's no details as to how this is going to happen, when it will happen, who it will be, where. All of these things are opaque to him. But Simeon sees the world through the eyes of faith and confidence in God. The God who has proven himself faithful. And so this is what keeps Simeon listening actively for the whisper of God's Spirit. Not only for that first promise, but Simeon is actively listening for God's guidance and direction so that he doesn't miss it. Let's keep reading. You look in verse 27. It says, That day the Spirit of God whispered to Simeon, and he knew in his somehow that that was the day he was to go to the temple. And so he listened, but he chooses then to go. And I'm convinced that his listening, as well as his obedient response to go, are deeply connected with his character. Because the only other thing we need is the text that he is devout and he is righteous. Simeon says of himself in verse 29, I am the Lord's servant. And you see, a servant, fundamentally, if you understand yourself in that way, you do the bidding of your master. And so when Simeon gets that impression, how we get it, he doesn't know, it's not revealed to us. He just knows that that day, he's supposed to go to the temple. He knows that it's God telling him that. And so he doesn't respond to that impression like I usually respond to God when God gives me something in my heart that I think might be God. If God says to me, uh, I should go to the temple today, I usually respond and think, well, why do you want me to do that, God? That doesn't seem very logical or very practical. Or, uh, you know, God, this really is not a convenient time for me. You know, I, you would know this because you're God, but I'm very busy right now. And so an, an imposition in the schedule means something might not get done that I had intended to do today. Or, oh, you know what, God? I don't think I actually have money to give it 
say to someone in need right now? BC has a fundamentally different perspective, doesn't he? It's not that he's some super spiritual robotic automaton. Yes, God, I will do what you say. Simeon has just simply learned over the course of time and his history of being a devout listener to Jesus that when God speaks and says, go to the temple, he may not know why. It might not all be clear to him at this moment. But when God says to Simeon, go, Simeon says, all right, I'm going. That's all he has to go on. And it highlights for us, I think, an important biblical principle. And that is that a predisposition toward obedience is a necessary precursor to God giving you direction. And if that's too highfalutin for you, in other words, to be very straight, God is not going to tell you what he wants you to do if you have already decided in your heart that you are going to say no to what it is that he wants you to do. So many times we say to God, Oh God, please, please show me what house I should buy. God, show me what service opportunity I should participate in. God, show me what life group I should join in January. Show me what I should do to reach out to my neighbors. Uh, But secretly we have our comfort zones so well established that when God shows us what he wants for us to do, we say, oh, no, 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 God, don't be ridiculous. I can't do that on Monday nights. The new season of The Bachelor starts on January the 2nd. Monday nights are spoken for. So clearly that's not God saying that he would want me to do something on Monday nights. I mean, but here's the hard truth. You have already set in your heart that you are not going to respond and say yes to what it is God is going to ask you to do, then God may just stop asking you and speaking to you about things. If your heart is already set up with a list of reasons why you can't or won't respond with Simeon's yes when God speaks, God may just end up deciding that he's not going to talk to you about these things anymore. In the scripture, that's called having a hard heart. And it's a very dangerous spiritual position to be in. Because the thing to to remember is no to God is always an option. He's created us with free will. But the question that I have for you is what are you going to miss out on if you say no to him? You will miss out on the adventure of a life lived in obedience to God. A life that is filled with wild and crazy adventures that are deep and profound moments, experience of His uh, connection with you in your life and blessing, that only those who have a heart that are, is predisposed to walk will know. If you want to read a, a good story about what this looks like in our day and time, you might want to pick up a copy of Sandy's book called Off the Map. It's a great, great story about their adventure of what happens when you say yes to God and he invites you to travel across the country in obedience to him. It's it's a good plug. You have to say that as her husband though, right? So it's just like she has to say nice things about your music. (laughs) Uh, But you see, I don't want to miss out on what God has for me as an individual. I don't want us as a faith community to miss out on what God has for us. 
And so I want to see and I want to more and more every day to see the world through Simeon's eyes. I want my position, my ears to say yes and to listen to God. I want to position my feet so that when God says, I want you to go here, that I am obedient and willing to go where God wants me to go. And we keep reading in our text. We're going to keeps reading and using his ears and his feet. He also uses his eyes and his mouth. So let's look at verse 33. And you can look uh, in your smartphone or in your Bible with me. This text isn't going to come up on the side screens. Where once Simeon has said this, it says in verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. I love how Rembrandt again portrays this moment in one of the very first works of art that he ever did as a professional artist. It's entitled Simeon's Prophecy to Mary. And my favorite part of the painting, I have to blow it up for you a little bit because it's a little bit hard to see, but my favorite part of the painting is the look on Mary's face. So I've blown it up for you a little bit. It's, it's a little, it's still a hard, tad hard to see, but if you look at her expression, it's this kind of mix of stunned silence and a kind of a what the heck is going on right now because you remember like this guy Simeon they've never met before they don't know he's a devout man of God they don't know he's been given a promise by God All they see is some old dude rushing towards them, grabbing their baby, and then starting to speak a prophetic word over the child. That he's God's salvation revealed to the nations. That he's the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people, Israel. If you're a parent, that kind of makes you a little bit nervous, doesn't it? And yet here's the connection to the miracle of Christmas. Simeon is actually miraculously permitted by God to peer forward into history and he actually sees not just what Jesus' birth means, not just for Mary and Joseph, but he also sees it in the scope of God's plan for all peoples of the world down through history, including you and me. Simeon is miraculously gifted by God to see something that hasn't happened yet, that isn't done yet. And he holds this baby Jesus in his arms and faith allows him to see what is not yet realized. You see, if you're a parent, you have dreams and wishes for your kids. But the truth is, you don't have a clue how those things are going to turn out. Things could go south for you. Relationships could sour. Dreams and hopes can go unfulfilled. But just like prophecies of old, Simeon holds up their baby and blesses them, and then he speaks very directly and prophetically to Mary. And I love the way that the message translation puts these words with stunning clarity and precision. Simeon says this, starting in verse 34, says to Mary, Mary, this child will mark the, both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel. He will be a figure that is misunderstood, a figure that is contradicted. It will be the pain of a sword thrust right through you. But the rejection will force honesty because God will use this one to reveal who they really are. 
This is a word not only for Mary, this is a word for everyone here today. Because Simeon speaks prophetically. He's forth telling the life and the mission of Jesus. He hears God. He's obedient with his feet to go where God says to him. He sees what God has revealed to him. And then he speaks the truth about who Jesus is. And the imagery of his prophecy comes from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 8, 14 and 15. And chapter 28, verses 13 to 16. And these are verses that come up again over and over and over again in the New Testament. In Romans, First Peter, later on in Luke's Gospel. And the central idea that Simeon captures for us is this idea that Jesus is God's litmus test for response. That the person and the work of this baby will be a dividing line, not only in history, but also in every human heart as well. Because Jesus fulfills God's promise of redeeming all the way back through the Old Testament. Jesus reveals that God's salvation is available to all, forces a choice then in every single heart, which has deep and eternal implications. In Jesus, God Almighty is saying, it's here. My plan for the restoration of all things, including humanity, is coming to pass. I am inviting you to participate in it with me. I'm inviting you to join me in the receiving of this baby and what he means to know salvation and to participate. And this invitation, Simeon says it real clearly, this invitation brings something to all who receive it. Simeon says, this will be a joy to those, to many. That's why the songs of Christmas resonate. They practically buzz with such hope and joy. Because on that first Christmas, a baby was born that would fulfill all of God's promises to crush the work of Satan and to heal every human heart who embraces relationship with him. But you have to choose to embrace Jesus. Many will oppose him, the text says. It was true in Jesus' day, it's true in our day as well. But this choice forces an honesty, an honest assessment of our own hearts and our lives in a way that few other choices in your life will. Because what you choose to do with Jesus becomes the defining mark in your life. Rembrandt's last painting that he made, which was found incomplete upon his death in his studio, is about how he pictures Simeon's response to God's revelation. Look at the posture that Simeon takes in this piece. Simeon listened to God with anticipation and faith. He used his feet to go with obedience where God sent him. He used his eyes to see and believe the salvation of God, and his mouth spoke forth a word of praise, and he responded in humility and in faith to what it was that God was revealing to him. And so the question that stirred up in my mind by Simeon's story and Rembrandt's rendition of this is where are you at today in your heart? As we draw closer to Christmas, maybe you need a time where you need some help hearing from God on a particular issue. And Keith and I and our prayer team will be available at the backs for you and at the sides. 
And if you want help hearing from God today, you need something you want to talk about or pray through, then I'd come and find us as we sing together. And we'll spend time asking God that he would speak to you. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to make a recommitment to some particular issue in your life today. Maybe you know that you know that God has talked to you about something, but you've not, your feet have not been obedient or your heart has been hard. And today is the day where you say, I need to repent. God, I need to change the fundamental predisposition of my heart. When you speak, I need to change and I need to say yes to you. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're too busy this morning, you're caught up in your own priorities and concerns that if Jesus was right here in front of you speaking with you, you wouldn't know it and you wouldn't be able to respond and see him. And so as we move to a time of response, Russ and the team are going to come and they're going to sing an original song entitled Hope Has Come. And as they do, I want to pray with you. And I want to pray particularly for you if you're in a place here this morning where you have never made that response that Simeon has. You've never said yes to God and embraced the salvation offered so freely and so generously through the person and the work of Jesus. And so the team's going to lead us in some songs of response. And if you want to respond in, uh, with an obedient yes to God, then you might want to come and find us at the back and pray with us. If you want to respond in a different way, you want to stand, you want to kneel and say, God, I just need to reposition my heart this morning. And we want to give you that invitation. But I'd like you to just uh, bow your heads with me this morning. I want to pray particularly for those who have never said yes to that obedience and said yes to God. Said, I want to make room in my heart this Christmas for Jesus. I've never actually wrestled with the question of Jesus being God's salvation for all of humankind. I've thought of him as a good moral teacher. I've thought of him as a person uh, that maybe might be worth emulating in my life, but I have never opened my heart and said, yes, Jesus, would you be in charge of my life? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And maybe that's your decision in faith here today. So I want to pray for you. You might say something like this, God, I want to respond in obedience to you today. I want to say yes to you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that he is the hope not only for the nations, but he is the hope for me. I confess and acknowledge I have no other hope in my life except for you. And I throw myself on your mercy in this place this morning because you are a gracious God who loves me and who wants to be in relationship with me. And so if that's you here in this place today, I want you to come and find me. I want you to talk to me and say, yeah, I prayed that when we were in that time having our heads bowed and eyes closed. And I want you to just respond in the way in which God's Spirit prompts you here today as we continue to sing and continue to celebrate what it is, the hope that Jesus has given us, just like Simeon. He understood it. We want to ask that God would reveal more and more and more to each of you in this place today of how he would have you respond.